0: Welcome to Episode 18 of the podcast of Lifeliner, the Judy Taylor Story. I am the author, Shereen Chichiboy. Chapter 18 the bliss of life. I want to learn how to drive. Cliff turns his eyes from the television set to Judy. Pardon? Her abrupt statement has caught him off guard. What is she going on about? I want to learn how to drive, Judy repeats over the clicking of her knitting needles. She looks steadily at him as she mindlessly rubs first one foot, then the other. Her statement confounds him. This is going to surprise the hell out of Jeej, he thinks. It's surprising the hell out of him. The girls need to do more after school. 4-H will be good for them and I can't enroll them unless I'm able to drive them when you're not here. She isn't kidding, he realizes. Okay, he says. Judy learns quickly under Cliff's tutelage every evening, though she rarely hits the speed limit. She crawls along the highway, the two of them laughing at the honking and tooting cars piling up behind them, waving when they finally zip past her in the oncoming lane. As soon as she has her driver's license and her own car, she enrolls Cindy in 4-H to learn the necessities of life, cooking, sewing, and riding. Cindy starts with cooking lessons at a neighbor's house. While the young teens giggle in the kitchen, Judy waits in the living room, rubbing her arms while chatting with the other mothers, and sometimes with the host when she gets a moment until it's time to drive Cindy home. Judy likes the independence this new skill gives her, but she's not ready to extend it to driving to Toronto for the supply run, tests, and the occasional hospital visit. That's Cliff's job anyway. Still, she likes to maintain control over how those visits will go. One Tuesday afternoon, she writes on plain notepaper. January 16, 1973 Dear Dr. Chichiboy, I guess it is getting close to blood testing time again. We are to pick up feeding on the 10th of February, so... If you want to see me, could you make the appointment for sometime between the 5th and the 10th? Please ask Valerie to notify the pharmacy department, Mrs. Cass Walsh, so they can have things ready. Thank you, Judy T. P.S. Feeling fine riding the snowmobile. That should get the wind up him, she chuckles to herself as she folds her letter in three and stuffs it into an envelope, reliving a similar kick she got out of sending him a photo of her on a motorbike. She just posed on it but she hadn't told him that. Her March supply run is also on a Saturday, also the 10th. She winds it up by visiting a patient new to alimentation, one who is not adjusting well. Her physician husband has left her. He cannot handle her illness. And she's preparing her alimentation, or total parenteral nutrition, TPN, as the medical team has now dubbed it, on her well-used bed, as if avoiding infection doesn't matter anymore. Judy can't forget her all the way home. The next day, she writes hurriedly to Geech after church. Dear Dr. Gigi boy, Sorry I didn't bring this with me on Saturday. Too bad Beth can't snack like this little girl. It might help her to adjust a little better. Judy Taylor P.S. Tell Dr. Sanderson he didn't even leave a bruise. Judy She folds the letter in three and encloses a clipping from the Atlanta Journal, dated Sunday, January twenty-eighth, 1973 about an 11-year-old girl who is missing most of her intestines. She had driven herself and her girls to church that morning. For the first couple of years up north, Cliff had driven them to Trinity United Church in Cajun, and then waited for them outside until the end of the service. Now he can stay at home in comfort, and she can volunteer at the church during the week. Serving others lifts her mood like nothing else and helps to distract her mind from her G-tube acid burns. That G-tube agony propels her to write to Jeech on another Tuesday, her writing day. March 27, 1973 Dear Dr. Jeechee Boy, Since you are so difficult to reach by telephone, I thought I'd write instead. My feeding is agreeing with me, just as you said it would. No problems. Could you let Kathy Ing, the clinical pharmacist, know so that pharmacy can make up enough until the 12th of May? We come in to see you again on the 9th of April, and I wondered if it would be possible to have my G-tube changed and the connection of my upper tube replaced. I think it is called an argyle. The present one is rather loose. Valerie could let me know if this can be arranged. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you on the 9th. Judy Taylor Judy may not eat, but church life revolves around meals. Her hand is the first to shoot up to offer to cook a main course or to bake cookies. For Judy, Every lunch or dinner function means another opportunity to cook, another opportunity to serve, another opportunity to watch others eat. It's one more opportunity to ask how it tastes and to sneak a chew herself and suck out all the flavor before spitting the remains out into a napkin. When the new minister, the Reverend Ed Bentley, arrives in 1976, he inspires her to lift her eyes up from the dinner table, her life's battleground, to see new ways of serving God, He quickly becomes her confidant and learns her story straight from her mouth, not through the usual grapevine as most of her neighbors do. I was so angry when this first happened to me, she dares to say as she finishes telling him how she got on TPN. I asked God, why me? This is a natural and healthy question. Grief generates a certain amount of energy. The energy is anger, but that doesn't have to be about something. It just is. The energy exists. He has noticed on Sundays how that energy becomes a direct connection to God for all those around her. She does not merely receive God's grace, but she emits his goodness to anyone within range of her smile. She is smiling at the Reverend now as the weight of her guilt over her anger drops off in the light of his compassion. Encouraged, she relates how she came to start visiting others on G-South and TGH, and how she feels better as a result especially when she advocates on their behalf to the doctors and nurses whom she knows so well. If you're angry about the circumstances of others, then you're less likely to be at risk of wallowing in your own pain, he affirms. Yes, yes. She feels grateful that he understands and that she can share this hidden part of her. I'm giving this as little power over my life as possible, and by God, my kids are going to have a normal life. I want to make sure they can grow up to be able to live on their own. I know I'm a control freak, and I've taken control of their timetable. But these girls would be lost without me being here. It's one reason why I had to learn how to drive. Judy decides that she's shared enough. It's starting to feel too real. She takes her leave, moving her mind onto choir practice that night. Judy had joined the choir soon after she had learned to drive. Singing fills her heart. The choir meets every Thursday night from 7 to 9 o'clock and on those nights she prepares her feeding up to the point of actually plugging it into her line, so that when she returns home, her body tired yet racing with endorphins and happy immune-fighting cells from singing with others, all she has to do is hook it up. At rehearsal, she inspires her fellow choristers. Well, we better work on that, she jokes when they veer off key, and during the service she smiles down steadily at the congregation from the stepped-up dais where the choir stands raising a few smiles in return, but not necessarily from all, which nettles her. One of the gentlemen choristers discreetly helps her back down the steps to the main floor after worship, whereupon she stops to scold a couple of familiar self-confident acquaintances. You guys out there, singing, yet look at the faces on you. I'm so happy to be here. Why aren't you? I want to see you smiling back at me next Sunday. She adds volunteering in the church office to her week. Her typing and telephone skills come in handy during the afternoons. She is a friendly voice at the church, for she loves to chat, to encourage others, and to help the occasional ill friend, even a boy she spoke to Jeej about seeing. And she can sit to do this work. She stands up only occasionally to wake her feet up when the tingling gets really annoying. Judy joins Reverend Bentley's pastoral care team, for not only is she a natural at visiting those in hospital, but she gets another night out another way to get out of her own head. He teaches the team members how to be good listeners and how to visit those who are hurting. Once a week, Judy accompanies one of the other team members to the hospital in Lindsay. They sit down beside the hospitalized parishioner, and Judy leans forward to talk. Her smile, her hazel eyes, her attitude of unconditional listening and giving put the patient at ease. She talks about the patient's experiences, not her own. And she calms the patient down. But when it's time to pray, she takes a back seat to her partner. Judy normally doesn't think too much about her appearance, but her hair had turned fine and flyaway after 1970, and it has frustrated her ever since. She's not skilled at styling, and she'd rather use her energy for other things. She tells a friend how difficult it is to control her hair. Oh, you should try Joyce, the woman tells her. She'll know how to deal with this hair. Definitely, she responds, and she gives Judy directions. Judy wants to look nice on Sunday mornings. Because Cliff likes her around when he's at home, and she hates sitting alone at home when the children are at school and he's at work, she makes an appointment for Fridays. Joyce's salon is in her two story home. A large sign above the garage announces, Joyce's hairstyling. Judy enters. Joyce is blow drying one woman's hair. Another is sitting under a dryer and a third is flipping through a magazine. Judy doesn't know any of them. Joyce calls out, hello. Hello, Judy calls back and starts talking to all. She doesn't once think about the odd problems multiplying her body, problems Jeege doesn't understand and has to research. When it's her turn to sit in the chair, she tells Joyce how hard her hair is to style, but that she'd like it to look nice. Joyce looks it over. The hair is like a two-year-old's hair. Fine and prone to sticking out, she can tell that Judy doesn't have much desire or skill to style it. She suggests setting it in rollers over the years. She will try other methods of controlling Judy's hair. Tight perms last only six to eight weeks because Judy's new growth is flyway hair. The wind undoes sets in one blow, and blow dryers and curling irons prove as ineffective. One thing Judy never has to worry about though is gray hair. Joyce talks as she snips. She concentrates when she gets to the nape of the neck. The skin wrinkles under the pressure of the scissors as she cuts across. It feels like rubber. She says nothing to Judy, wanting to let her keep her dignity. There, she announces. She holds up a mirror and turns Judy so Judy can see her hair from all angles. Judy's smile widens. Despite her fatigue from the outing, Judy leaves feeling uplifted by her new do. Once home, she opens her front door with relief. She has time to rest before cooking and serving dinner. Afterward, she retires to the living room with Cliff. They sit in their chairs in front of the television, her knitting needles going and her intralipid dripping into her vein under gravity. It empties after three hours, and she hooks up the amogen portion of her TPN. It's late now, and on intralipid nights, she doesn't stay up to watch the amogen drip in for the usual two hours. She rolls up her knitting, puts it in its bag, and pushes Lester on his shepherd casters, which Cliff had installed, across the indoor-outdoor carpeting to the bedroom. She changes into her nightclothes and moves into the bathroom. Cliff stays rooted in his chair, staring at the TV screen, for he wants no part of the ugly mess that's about to be revealed. She carefully peels off the dressing from over her G-tube, She soaks a cotton wipe into Tertricide and strokes it over her screaming skin until all the spillage from her stomach is gone. The pain, as of a thousand cigarette burns, never lets up. She swipes up gobs of garamycin cream and dabs it on as tears flow down her cheeks. She unstraps the leg bag, pushes it in, and takes it off her G-tube. She drapes it over the side of the tub next to the bed bag tubing that's been draining all day. She picks it up and pushes it on. She puts a disposable bag on the end of the tubing and throws it over Lester. She exhales deeply. She grabs a tissue, wipes her eyes so that Cliff won't see, and pushes Lester to the bedroom. Cliff joins her. She throws the disposable bed bag onto the floor and climbs into bed. She reaches for her Bible and turns to her passage for the night. Grateful for the extra day of life she has just been given, She studies the passage, focusing on what God is trying to tell her, on what she needs to learn. Cliff vigilantly watches the solution dripping steadily into her Langer line. Finished with her reading, she turns off the light, but Cliff uses some reflected light from the plastic to keep an eye on her in case she flings an arm out and pulls her line. Judy sleeps. Two hours later, Cliff is sleeping, and Judy's bladder wakes her up, filled from the constant drip of the Amogen. She obeys its urgent call, picking up her bed bag and throwing it over Lester before heading down the hall. While in the bathroom, she takes the opportunity to start the stopwatch for one minute and to count the drips. There should be 50 to 60 drops per minute. It's running too fast. She adjusts it and counts the drips for another minute to ensure it's running at the proper rate, after which she stamps her feet to try and get feeling back in them and returns to bed for another two hours of sleep before her bladder wakes her up, yet again. Cindy hears the clank of the air tank and the squeak of the wheels returning to Judy's bedroom, turns over, and falls back asleep. You have been listening to Lifeliner, the Judy Taylor story, a biography on a Canadian medical pioneer who made artificial feeding possible, Podcast by the author Shireen Gigiboy, one chapter at a time. Music used for this podcast is I Like It Like That by Steph Sachs and The King is Back by Echoed, licensed under Creative Commons. They can be found at dig.ccmixter.org under Instrumental Music for Film and Video. I hope you enjoyed this chapter. For more information or to leave a comment, please check out the website at ggboy.ca or the Twitter feed at Shireen J. So until next time, thank you for listening to Lifeliner. I'm Shireen Gigi Boy.